Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today I'm honored to talk to Iris Yamashita about Village in the Dark. Welcome, Iris. Thank you, Dan. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. This is So this is the second book in a series that sort of a lot of the characters in this book come back from the first book. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. We see um, a lot of characters from the first book, but I also do introduce some new ones. It, I can honestly say as a reader, this book completely stands on its own. So if anyone listening says, oh, well, she's, I have to read the first one, I don't think that's the case. I think it would give you certainly a flavor of what goes on in the second one because there are a lot of events that are mirrored from book one, but it certainly stands on its own. So I also know that you're an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter. Congratulations for Letters from Iwo Jima. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Thank you. Yes, it's, it was a, a war film directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh, that's pretty nice standing there. I like that. So do you find the screenwriting world and the novel writing world to be very different? Yes, they are very different. It's a um, very different market very different process. Um, the only thing that really carries over is storytelling, which kind of, you know, it's, I use the same sort of principles that I use from screenwriting over into the book writing. And, but the, but the business is completely different. That's what I would imagine. I know in Hollywood, there's so many different players involved in one project, whereas I would assume novel writing, except for editing and the publisher, that's basically your baby to create. Is that correct? That's a good way to put it. Um, in filmmaking, it's very collaborative. And uh, if you're the screenwriter, it's sort of like you're just one piece in the machinery and it takes a lot of machinery and you're you're also a writer for hire so you could be you know you could be let go um the idea is probably not yours most most of the time ideas are not yours in screenwriting because it's a producer's idea or it's working off of someone else's ip or um someone else's vision so um, books are in, in that sense, yeah, they're the authors because it's your original idea. It's your everything. You're the director, you're the casting agent, you're the set designer and everything else. I love it. I love it. Well, I would say that I'm not sure I want to go on vacation to Alaska with you, Iris, just so we're <laughs> clear. <laughs> Alaska is the only state I've not been to. So I will say that I am actually excited for Alaska, not only because it's the last state, but also because of your work. I really feel like I have a flavor of at least the setting of your book. So it's it's a setting of what I might call extreme isolation. To get to the little town, you have to go through a tunnel, which I know a lot of people are freaked out about going through tunnels. So you really did torture us a bit, didn't you? Yes. Um, the the place is actually inspired by a real town in Alaska called Whittier, Alaska. 
And uh, I did visit it and I did stay there. And uh, it, it is kind of claustrophobic. I mean, <laughs> I think it, I didn't go there in winter. I would be afraid to go there in winter. But um, summer actually was quite beautiful. Once you're in the city, uh, the views are spectacular. I stayed in that building that I actually write about. The city it, is all in one building, one high-rise building. Um, the building was actually made for the military back in the uh, 50s or something. And uh, then it was converted to residential housing. But that it kind of explains why it's, you know, this this isolated building in the middle of nowhere. It was supposed to be secretive. <laughs> it's it's really interesting. I grew up in a very small town, which I like to call a village in eastern North Carolina. There were around 400 people. And so there are 205 residents in this building in your book. And I do think of, you know, I've noticed Ellie always keeps a pair of binoculars that she says she's looking out for her ex-husband and she's protecting everyone. But having grown up in such a small environment, there were always people looking. So you do a wonderful job in creating an environment where really they cannot escape, but yet by the the real salt of the book, at least, or the soul of the book to me is it takes a village because in this book, it really does take the village to band together. Yes, um, that's, that is a theme that I was considering um, about community. Uh, there's the community of, um, basically because you're so isolated that you really rely on your fellow neighbors when you need it and when you need help. And, um, but you might not always love your neighbor. <laughs> you're kind of stuck with them. I mean, this is especially true in that um, city where everyone lives in one building. But uh, the second book called Village in the Dark also refers to this community of, um, again, isolated in the middle of the wilderness, and it's run by women, and how they have kind of come up with their own rules because of um, because of who they are and uh, where they are. So you do something, and the very first chapter of the book, Kara is having her husband and son's body exhumed. And when I was reading that, it caught my breath because I could feel it. You do such a great job in describing what not only what's happening, but you give Kara such an emotion that as a reader, I could feel that emotion. How did that affect you as right as writing this? Well, I um I originally when I was writing the two book series coming from sort of the television or streaming and film world, I thought, oh, that would be a great kind of cliffhanger. <laughs> and then my publisher in the book world is very different. It says, no, you want to have standalone books. And um, and so I thought, oh, you know, that would make actually a great beginning <laughs> where you're, the, you're just curious about why are these bodies being exhumed from the grave? But I had to bring over um, some of the story of uh, Kara Kennedy's background. So that's where I felt like you have to explain 
what has happened and um, how she's been kind of haunted and tormented throughout both book one and book two about the death of her family. So that's why I felt it was important to um, have that moment. Yeah, so well done, Iris, so well done. And then in the second chapter, we meet Ellie, at least Ellie for this book. And I'm going to quote something she says, because I snorted when I laughed out loud. She says, son of a red wattle hog sucking bitch. And that gives <laughs> Ellie's character right there. So we go from Kara, who is, you know, obviously upset having to exhume two bodies of loved ones in the first chapter to Ellie in the second chapter, who basically whatever she thinks, it comes straight out of her mouth. And of course, I loved Ellie because uh, I feel like she's a little bit of spirit animal for me. Uh, how did you feel about writing Ellie? Well, it's it's always fun to have a character that, you know, adds a bit of comic relief in a way and, and they're fun to write because, you know, when you have very serious things going on and, and then the tone is very dark, I feel like you need sometimes moments of levity. And so I think that's what Ellie provides and, and when I started writing her, she first appeared in the first book. And I just thought that I think she has a story to tell. And so I really want to explore her more. And so I just, and the other thing is that um, what I learned in screenwriting is that when you, when you write characters, you really want them to have um, distinguishable voices so that if you pull a line of dialogue, you would know which character is speaking. So that's always been sort of in the back of my head while I'm writing. And I always want each character. So I have three voices in this book and I want them to be um, very different from each other. And so I, I just, I really enjoyed writing Ellie and I did have to go and look at what all the Southern expressions were. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie answers the door one time in one of the scenes without her wig on. And that red wig, it meant a lot to me because I knew quite a few red wigged women growing up. And I'm like, I really got her. And of course she drives a red truck or a red car. And it's like, of course it's red. It has to be. So I, I saw her and I did see, may I assume that Maya is the third of your three women voices? Uh, Mia. Mia, Mia. Upat is the um, third character and she is from the, the village. Um, and she is, I, I kind of wanted this village to be, even though it's closed off, it's still in a ways open to anyone who needs to be there. And so it, there are indigenous women, but there are also um, non-indigenous women. And then Mia is kind of an odd character because she's indigenous, but it's Japanese indigenous, which is Ainu. So she's half Ainu. And I, I think I just, I threw that in there because uh, when I was researching um, Alaskan indigenous uh, people, that there were a lot of similarities with the Japanese indigenous. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I just decided that I wanted to throw that in there. 
I'm glad you did. You know, I think I think for some of us who haven't read as much about it, the whole AAPI region, there's so many similarities all the way around the rim, no matter how far you go one way or another. You know, I think that one nice thing is more indigenous people are being seen through authors who include them in their work. And that's a good thing because we all need to know how everyone functions so we can be a better society. And I, I loved your inclusion in that, in this book. Yes, and I was um, lucky enough to find someone that I could consult with from uh, an, an Alaskan Indigenous Women's Resource Center. And uh, so that was helpful because I, I also learned myself a little bit more because um, we talk about uh, violence in Alaska. It's, it's the most violent state for women, especially among the indigenous population. So I kind of wanted to get that out there too. And I and it was great that I had someone I could talk to. That is good. And it's good to get a, a, a local perspective. So it gives the reader a flavor of what really goes on. I mean, honestly, you, you alluded to it earlier. This city is a place where a lot of broken souled people go. And there are a lot of people who go north to Alaska to sort of escape from whatever it is in their current reality, whether it's escaping from family or an abuse. There are quite a few characters in your book who are hiding out from people that want to harm them. And that, of course, creates a curiosity and it also creates a, a bit of suspicion. Why is someone here? But yet you do, as an author, give them a lot of inclusion. They sort of collect those souls. And that's a fun thing to read. Yeah, actually, when I went to visit um, Whittier, Alaska, which inspired the city under one roof, um, I was actually surprised to see how uh, multicultural it actually is there. Everyone, um, not, well, I can't say everyone, but a lot of the inhabitants are from somewhere else. So I saw a lot of people from Samoa there. Oh, okay. um, I saw people from uh, who were Chinese, people who were Korean, people who um, are from Guam, which is where I used to live. So, that was actually very surprising. And I thought that is so cool. And I wanna have that um, as part of my setting as well to be very inclusive in the characters. And, um, and that, that, was, that was really a reason I fell in love with Whittier, Alaska actually. Well, and you also include something else. There's a passage where Ellie says about Amy, who is going to go away to Southern California or California for college. Ellie says, I bet she comes back with a different pronoun. And that was just a small, slight inclusion, but it was so wonderfully done. It wasn't anything over the top. It was just, hey, look, you know, this is a possibility in life. And you included that so smoothly, Iris. I, well done. Thank you. I mean, I thought it was something that she would, she might say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, it's Ellie is, to me, Ellie is, she is so aware of everything at that at every moment. I mean, when she stops and she's going to take her dog back from Jim, who's at the uh, toll booth, 
and then she gives the dog back to him because she realizes Shane's in the car and it's not going to work out. I mean, she's just spot on. And as I said earlier, whatever she thinks, it just rolls right out and probably, you know, cost be damned. But at the same time, she's not only a humorous voice, I think she's sort of a straight on, straight ahead voice as well. And I like that a lot about her. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, um, of course, with all these different characters that um, you would the, that you would want to like them, obviously, if they're, <laughs> if they're a major character. Um, but I also thought of uh, in both the, the city and Woody, the, well, I call it Point Medier, and in um, the village in the dark also, that uh, that all the people are very tough on the outside because you know to live in Alaska, I think you it takes a certain personality of toughness. But mm. on the inside, they're all also they're all kind of broken on the inside. So that's sort of a commonality that um, the people in the communities have. And for anyone who doesn't know, this is obviously a big time thriller book, but you give us a little bit of romance as well in there. I love, I really did love the romance between JB and Kara. I thought it was really quite well done and lovely. You gave, you know, when you write, when you're doing a suspense, it's always nice to be able to catch your breath occasionally. And so it was nice to catch my breath with the two of them. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because that was, I felt like a weak spot. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I think my um, the first draft that I turn in was not as good on the romance side. And <laughs> my editor, and I have a really great editor, Tracy Bernstein, she really pushed me to explore that a little bit more so that, um, you know, the end result was better than... <laughs> What I well, I, I, I'm I'm glad that worked out because you know even from just when Kara comes back to uh, Medier, you find that everybody has a preconceived notion of why she's back, and of course, <laughs> I think she must have blushed 150 times in the first few chapters, and then even later on with her interaction with Mia, there are things that Mia feels about the two characters, JB and Kara that we as an audience get to see how someone on the outside even notices. And so I thought that was very well done. It was a lot of fun. Oh, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks to my editor. <laughs> she did a great job. So Iris, do you have a website or social media you would like to share? Yes, it's my name, which I'm sure is posted here somewhere. It is on com. the screen. Perfect. That's pretty easy. Perfect. And then from my website, I have links to any social media that I have. So please check Fan it out. Fantastic. And if you're around Los Angeles on the 13th of February, I know you'll be at Vroman's Bookstore with Naomi Hirahara. So I look forward to seeing you there. That's correct. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. 
Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.